Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter number 12 this morning. Hebrews chapter number 12. I want to preach on what I believe to be a bit of an unusual topic, but I hope that it will bless you and speak to your heart and encourage you and convict you this morning. Draw you closer to the Lord. Hebrews chapter number 12. And I want us to begin reading in verse number 18 this morning. Verse number 18, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. And we're going to be in several places this morning. But I just want to touch on each of these thoughts. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on any of them this morning, but just touch on each of them. The Bible says in verse number 18 of Hebrews chapter 12, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Notice verse 26. Whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. I want to read verse 25 and 26 again and notice carefully. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. I want you to take note of that phrase, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this fine group of people that is gathered here this morning. Lord, my heart's desire is that your Holy Ghost would have liberty in the service. Lord, that he'd be able to convict hearts. I know he's able if we'll let him. Lord, I pray that there would be a vast submission of hearts to your Holy Spirit this morning. Father, that you would have the liberty to speak to each heart according to that greatest need and to meet those needs. Father, that you would lay us open before your all-knowing eyes and show us where we might stand at aught with thee. Father, I pray if there's one amongst us that's lost and undone without Christ, that you'd show them their need of Calvary, Lord, through the Holy Ghost, that you'd show them, Father, that they would come to know the Savior this morning. Father, I pray that you illuminate your word to our hearts and minds, 
Meet every need according to your will. Lord, we thank you this morning for the cross of Calvary. We thank you for the blood that was shed on our account for our behalf. And Lord, we thank you that we're able to love you because you first loved us. Now, Lord, we'd ask that you'd help us to love you more than we do. Father, and teach us to serve you with our entire beings. Lord, we ask all these things this morning in a name that that is able, and in a name that's majestic, and in a name that's powerful, and that's above each and every other name, and a name at which every knee shall bow. Lord, we ask these things in the magnificent name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible says that the voice of God shook the earth. And I'm interested in that phrase and that thought this morning. I, I'm just going to share with you a little bit how I came to look at these things. I, I was reading in Hebrews chapter 12. And I, I got to thinking about what a powerful thing it must have been for God to literally shake the earth. I don't know how many of you have ever been in an earthquake. I mean, we get little earthquakes around here, here, and there, but half the time you, it might be a semi driving by. You don't really know with the kind we get around here, but if you spend any time out on the West Coast, you've probably experienced a real earthquake before. I, I've never been in one, but I can just imagine. And let me just say, imagining's just enough for me, amen? I, I don't need to experience it, uh, but I would imagine it's a terrifying notion that the earth would begin to shake. But when I consider the shaking of the earth, I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that the shakings that are spoken of in this passage and in other passages typically are not merely a miracle. I did not say they weren't a miracle. I said they're not merely a miracle. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Uh, there are certain things in the Word of God that are miracles in that they exemplified a truth or they were used uh, by the Almighty and He would bend the laws of nature Nothing was necessarily taking place in heaven, but he was manifesting something on earth. But we find that when God shook the earth, and we're going to look at four different times that God did that this morning, this was a supernatural thing that took place, but it was a, a terrestrial result of a heavenly event. It was not just a miracle that was confined to that moment in time, but something was taking place in heaven that shook the earth. The Bible tells us in this passage of a time when God shook the earth and it says that there's coming another time when God will once again shake the earth. And I kind of got to thinking about that. You'd be amazed how many times that God shook the earth in the Word of God. You can go through time and time and time again. But there's four instances that stuck in my mind that I want to share with you. And you've noticed there in Hebrews chapter 12, it's, it's spoken of a little bit earlier in the chapter. Look at verse number 19 once again. The Bible says, And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated, that the words should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain... It shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Now, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to try to hurry. But I want to look at each of these instances. And I want to look at the place that it took place. I want to look at the location. I want to look at where it happened. And I want to look at the purpose of this shaking. Why was it shaking? What was taking place that caused it to shake? And I want to look at the proclamation of each of these shakings. What do they mean to us? Turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. And we find the narrative concerning what's spoken of in Hebrews chapter number 12. Now, if you're a student of the Word of God, you probably recognize immediately that what's being spoken of is the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. 
Travel with me, if you will, to that desert mountaintop, the Mount of God, known as Horeb, where the children of Israel were passed down the holy law of God. The place that we see in Exodus chapter 19 is Sinai. It is the place of the law. It is a place, and could I say first off, that we see the shaking of restriction taking place. We see God setting boundaries. We see God manifesting His holiness. We see God placing a great chasm and divide between man and between God. And look what it says in Exodus chapter number 19. And I want you to look down uh, with me in this passage. Uh, Let's see, we'll begin down at verse number 17. The Bible says, And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mountain. Now they were coming to meet with God, but what happened? And Mount Sinai was all together on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in a fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. The Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount. And Moses went up and the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze. And many of them perish. As we stand before this holy mountain, we find that Sinai is the place. We find that the purpose is the Scriptures. God is giving the Old Testament law. And listen, neighbor, it wasn't just Ten Commandments either. Some 600-odd commandments were given in the Old Testament. You say, what was that, preacher? That was God's measuring stick. That was God laying out before mankind and saying, if you want to measure up to me, this is how you're going to have to do it. And can I say that the law was not given to bring men closer to God. But the law was given that every mouth would be stopped and that all the world would become guilty before an almighty God. The purpose of this shaking was the giving of Scriptures. But what was the proclamation giving? We see it there. Moses was commanded to command the people to say, don't come towards the mountain. Well, that was the express reason they'd come to the mountain, wasn't it? They'd showed up at Sinai to meet with God. And isn't that just like the sinner? He wants to meet with God before his sin has been met with. He shows up expecting a grand entrance. And I, you know, I don't know, I guess we're as hard on the children of Israel as we are on the apostles. We'd probably be just as bad. Let me tell you something, neighbor. If you don't think that we would gripe uh, like the children of Israel did, you ain't been around Baptists long enough. Somebody say amen right there. We'd be griping and moaning about everything. We'd be walking around out there saying, they ain't got a Shoney's within a hundred miles of this place. My goodness. Can't get fried chicken to save your life. All we got is quail. But as they came to this mountain and they expected a grand reception, we find that God descended upon it in fire and in smoke. And can I use this word? He descended on it in judgment. And He gave forth His holy law. And what was the proclamation? What was the message that God, when He shook the earth the first time... Listen, when we're talking about something that shakes the earth, we're talking about something universal. You know that? We're not, we're talking about something that affects everyone. We're talking about something that is not uh, given any respect to creed or to color or to financial wherewithal or political affiliation. We're talking about something that shook the earth. And what was the proclamation? The proclamation was sinful. Sinful. The law was given to show us our sins. The law was given to reveal to you and I not how to get to God, but the very fact that we couldn't get to God. The law was given not to show us how good we are, but to show us how wicked we are. You say, I can keep the Ten Commandments. Well, I doubt that, neighbor. 
But even if you could, try keeping the other 600 and some on. The truth of the matter is that God had it right when He said all of sin and come short of the glory of God. What's the glory of God? The glory of God is the presence of God. That means that man in his pride and iniquity seeks to stomp into the throne room of God with no blood sacrifice, with no remission of sins, with no Savior, and God stops him dead in his tracks and says, Sinful. Sinful. I'm a good person, preacher. You might be, but if you've never been saved, you have no place at the throne room of God. You say, preacher, I've been baptized. God bless you. Wonderful. But baptism cannot save you. you say, preacher, I'm a church member. Well, good. That's wonderful. Me too. That's good. Amen. I, I'm so much of a church member, they made me a preacher. Amen. That's how, I guess that's how that works. No, it don't matter if you're a church member. What's the proclamation of God's shaking of the earth? What's the proclamation of Sinai? What's the pro, what is, what is the epitaph written upon the attempt of our dead works to please a holy God? It is but one word that God gives and it is sinful. You're restricted from coming into my presence. We see the first shaking of the earth spoken of. By the way, this is the first shaking that we're aware of in the Word of God. The first time as man has inhabited the earth that God has shaken this earth. You do that to get someone's attention. You ever had someone just completely out of their head? I mean, just lost their mind and they're panicking. You might walk up and you might shake them. God's getting this world's attention and proclaiming a sinful death sentence upon this world. There are several other times the world shook in between here and the one we're going to examine. We could go back to this very same mountain with Elijah some many years later as God sent an earthquake by, but the Lord was not in that earthquake. We could go in the book of 1 Samuel and see another time that the Lord shook the earth. There were other earthquakes that took place, although we do not know if they were supernatural or not. Earthquakes are spoken of in Uzziah's reign, but we do not know if that was a supernatural earthquake. But we see the shaking of restriction. But turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 27. Matthew, chapter 27. And I want you to look at another shaking that took place. Matthew chapter number 27. Of the first shaking of restriction, we see that the place was Sinai. We see that the purpose was the Scriptures, the law being given. And we see that the proclamation was that of sinful upon mankind. But in Matthew chapter 27, we enter the most hallowed story in all of the Word of God. We enter not only in the most hallowed story, but the most hallowed portion. And I believe that not only do we enter into the most hallowed portion, but, but we enter into the most hallowed point in all of those six hours on that evening. In verse number 45, the Bible says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land under the ninth hour. I could pause there and spend hours. We could talk about how dark our sin is that it would blot out the sun. We could talk about how dark our sin, that it would turn the very back of God. We could talk about how dark our sin, that it would sever that eternal fellowship of the Father and the Son and cause Him to cry out. And we see it here just a few verses later as He cries out in about the ninth hour. Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You say, my sin's not so bad. Uh, it was dark enough to blot out the sun and to turn the back of God and to sever the relationship of the Son of God. It was dark enough that the heavens would be bowed and God would ride down, as Psalms 18 tells us, upon cherubs and mete out His punishment. 
judgment upon the Son of God. Yes, your sin is dark. Just like my sin. Your sin's dark enough to cause the death of the Son of God and to put out the Son of Righteousness. We see the darkness of this sin, but it goes a little further. Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias. Straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. And the rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. The earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. We see the shaking of restriction. But I'm so happy that this morning we can come to this place and I can show you the shaking of redemption. The place was Calvary. The purpose was the crucifixion. The very immaculate Son of God, sinless and perfect, as a lamb without spot, without blemish, was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was numbered with the transgressors. And he was taken and placed upon a rugged cross, pierced for you and I. You know, I don't don't know. I don't know that we get to magnitude of that. Let me pause for a minute. Let me back up. Can you see it with me? Now, stop for a moment. I, we got a lot of minds in this room. I understand that. Not as many as we got people, amen, but we got a lot of minds in this room. And I want us to stop and contemplate for a moment as they took the Son of God and they strapped Him to a post and they took a cat of nine tails and they took that whip and they would lay it against His back. And the design of that whip was not merely to strike the flesh, and to lay it open. But it was long enough, and they would they would take pieces of glass or iron or rock or anything, anything sharp, and they would take and they would tie it into the ends of that cat of nine tails. And it would have all of these lashes at the end, nine different lashes with all these pieces. And it wasn't a short whip, but it was actually rather long. And the design was... Whenever that big Roman soldier would take and reach back, he wouldn't come down like this, but he would come to the side like this. And when he did, that whip would wrap around the body of the person being whipped, and those sharp pieces would dig into the flesh of him that was being punished. Then that big Roman soldier, with all of his might, would pull back on that whip. And when he did... Like the claws of a tiger, it would just shred and open the flesh. The Bible says, the book of Isaiah, that his visage was marred. What that means? It means he was not recognizable as a human being. If you had looked upon the Son of God, you would have seen a mangled piece of meat. You wouldn't have seen a person. It didn't end there. They took and they spit upon They spit upon him. They spit upon him. They grabbed his beard and plucked it out. And they would take their fists and they would beat him. They'd hit him in the face. And then they'd say, if you're a prophet, prophesy who just hit you. (laughs) That was my Savior. That That was the Creator God. 
That was the one that spoke this world into existence. That was the one with 10,000 angels at His beck and call. And He took it for you and for me. For our sin. He could have at any moment spoke them out of existence, but He bore it. That's love. That's love. I mean, there's a lot of things that we call love, but that's love this morning. He bore that. They take Him took him and laid him on the cross and they drove the I know we talk about handprints, but very likely they drove the nails into his into his wrist. If you were to drive it into hand, there's bones there that you couldn't avoid breaking. And the Bible says not a bone in him was broken. Many times this entire part of the of the arm and hand would be known they'd call that your hand. But there's a place where those two bones are separated in your wrist. And they would take that nail and drive it in there. And 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 the strength of those wrist bones would be enough to bear his weight as they dropped him in. And they did the same thing with his feet as they crossed him over and drove a nail in. And what they would do. We think of the cross as being vastly tall, but it usually wouldn't be. Instead they'd have a deep hole dug. And what they would do when they would take that cross, they would they would set it up with it just on the edge and they would push it in. And when it would fall down and it would hit the bottom of that hole, it would cause the person's shoulders to dislocate. And the design of crucifixion was not that they would bleed to death or thirst to death or starve to death, but that they would suffocate because their lungs would collapse on themselves and they could not lift themselves for a breath. Only for a short while could they push down and lift themselves up for a breath. And there as He hung upon that cross, naked, beaten, bruised, bleeding and humiliated for your sins and mine, all of a sudden God said, now it's my turn. Now it's my time. Man has meted out his punishment, but if we are to redeem mankind, I must mete out mine. Darkness shrouded the entire earth, the book of Luke says. Entire earth. Ancient Roman writers wrote about this inexplicable darkness in the middle of April when in a lunar month uh, it would be absolutely impossible for it to be a, a solar eclipse or a lunar eclipse in any way, shape, fashion, or form. It was a supernatural darkness and God shrouded darkness upon the earth. God shut out the prying eyes of mankind and placed only His divine presence. The Bible says in Psalms 18, He made darkness His pavilions round about. You know what a pavilion is? A pavilion is a war room. They would set up a tent on a battlefield and that, that pavilion would be what it was called. And that would be the place that you would go to discuss things and to work out your battle strategy. And God pulled the darkness in around Himself and His Son and meted out the judgment of a thousand, a million, a billion, infinite lost souls and an eternity of hell upon His very Son. And when He did it, the magnitude of the judgment of God was such, the Bible says, the earth quaked. The earth quaked. Our Lord said seven different things as He hung on the cross. But He made a statement. He cried out. And it's one word in Greek. But He cried out and He said, It is finished. It is finished. What was the proclamation of this shaking? The place was Calvary. The purpose was the crucifixion. The proclamation was complete. <laughs> Complete. Complete. You say, preacher, what do you mean now by complete? I mean completely paid for. I mean completely paid for. I mean the judgment completely born. I mean completely. The, it is finished. It literally is translated from one word. That You know what it means? It means done. 
done, finished, finished. Christ bore the judgment of God and He said, it's complete. I've done Thy will. I've borne the sins of mankind. The Bible says He cried with a loud voice and He yielded up the ghost. We see the shaking of redemption. Turn with me just one chapter over. I'm glad we don't have to go far for the Lord to shake things again, aren't you? Turn just one chapter over. It says in verse number 1, chapter 28, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became his dead men. The angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. Oh, glory to God! He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place. Where the Lord lay. We see the shaking of restriction. We see the shaking of redemption. But oh, glory to God, we see the shaking of resurrection taking place in chapter 28. The place was the tomb. The tomb. The purpose was testimony. Why did God shake the earth to get the attention of those around? You can believe what you want about this and we can fight about it like good Baptists later if you want. Get some entertainment for praise night tonight. But as I read this chapter, I don't read that they opened the tomb so he could get out. That's not what I see. In fact, our Lord in his glorified body would later pass directly through a locked door into that little upper room where his disciples were. They didn't they didn't roll the stone away so that he could get out. Why did they roll the stone away? That angel looked at those women and said, come, see where the Lord lay. The tomb wasn't open so he could get out. The tomb was open so we could look in. That's why it was open. It was a testimony. And what was the proclamation given? What was the message? The place was the tomb. The purpose was testimony. And the proclamation was triumph over death. Triumph over death. Death could not hold him. He laid down his life. He said, I lay down my life that I might take it up again. This power have I given me from my Father. Can I tell you this morning, we don't have to live like Jesus is still on the cross. My goodness. Never have we lived in a day of such defeated Christianity. Never have we lived in a day when people act as though the Savior is impotent and unable to save their loved ones and their friends and their family. Never has the prayer closet been so deserted. Never has fasting been so deserted. Never has fellowship been so deserted. Never has faith been so depleted. But I'm here to tell you this morning, church, if you don't get anything else this morning out of this message, if it goes in one ear, out of the other, let me take you to an empty tomb and show you that my Lord is alive today. That He's alive and able to work in your life. That He's alive and able to save your family and your friends. That He's alive and able to hear your prayers and deliver you. That was an important enough message that God shook the earth. And the resurrection shook this world. 
It's never been the same since. <laughs> never been the same since. Oh, I know, you know, those the atheists, they don't believe in Him. Of course, they don't mind you praying to Allah. We okay? They don't mind you praying to Allah. Could be because they realize He ain't going to answer, don't you think? Oh, but neighbor, you open up a high school football game and call on the name of Jesus Christ. Nellie, bar the door. The carpetbaggers start coming around and trying to change what we can do. You know why that is? There's fear of that name. That's a living name. They're not afraid of Allah. He can't do anything. They're not, and they know. They know this morning. They're not afraid of Buddha. He can't do anything. They're not afraid of Confucius. He can't do anything. They're not afraid of Joseph Smith. He can't do anything. They're not afraid of false gods. But neighbor, you start calling on the name of the real and living God of Israel and my God and your God if you put your faith in Him. That's when they start getting upset. They don't like the proclamation of this shaking. Triumph over the tomb. Triumph over death. I want to show you one more and we'll close. We see the shaking of restriction at Sinai. We see the shaking of redemption at Calvary. We see the shaking of resurrection at the empty tomb. Turn with me to Second Peter chapter 3. In the book of Hebrews, Paul writing, said once more. It's actually found in the book of Haggai, but quoting that passage. It says, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying yet once more. I shake not earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. There's past shakings, but there's a future shaking coming. Second Peter chapter number 3 gives us some truths about it. Look with me at verse number 10. The Bible says to us, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Look with me in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. In the earlier part of this chapter, we have earth spoken of. The Bible says that Satan went to the four corners of the earth and gathered all the armies of the earth together for the battle of Gog and Magog. The earth is spoken of. And we have earth spoken of again here in verse 11. The place is the great white throne judgment. But for the sake of our message, let me say that the place of this shaking is planetary. It's universal. It's the entire earth. And it's spoken of in a fleeting phrase. Look at verse 11. And I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth 
and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. You'll find this to be the very last mention of the old earth in the Word of God. Can I say to you this morning, church, there's coming a day when God's going to shake this thing again. You say, preacher, do you believe in global warming? I do, just not quite like they do. Amen? (laughs) Yeah, I think it's going to get real, real, real hot. And it ain't going to be because your air conditioner or my pickup truck either. But the Bible teaches that there's coming a day. Never again, I'm reminded of, boy, we've had, we've had storms around here lately, and it seems like almost every storm we've had, I got a picture of one of them, or I stole, one of, somebody around here took a picture of it and put it on Facebook, and I stole it off their Facebook, of a rainbow. And it seems like almost every storm that we've had lately, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not a weather person, you know, I don't know whether or not it's gonna, it's gonna rain. That's, that's as far as my weather knowledge goes. But it seems like every single storm we've had, there's been a rainbow after it. You know what that rainbow means? There was a time when rainbows were not a part of this world that we live in. There was a time when there was no such thing as a rainbow. But the Bible teaches that after the great flood, you believe in the flood, don't you, this morning? You haven't bought those, those, those descended from monkey evolutionists about, about the great flood, have you? I hope that you haven't done that. I hope you believe your Bible before you believe some harebrained scientist. But... Uh, you know, they, the Bible teaches that after the universal flood, that God set a bow in the heavens. And the design of that was to show to mankind that never again would He destroy the earth by means of water. So, I, I'm going to be honest with you, and I, I'm not trying to upset you, but, but here goes. <laughs> Amen. So, I, I don't really care what Al Gore says, I'm not worried about it flooding the whole earth again. I'm sorry, he is wrong about the hanging chads, and he's wrong about this one, amen? The truth of the matter is, God's never going to destroy the earth with a flood again. But the Bible teaches that there's coming a day when God will shake this earth again. After the seven-year tribulation period, after the glorious appearing and coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, after the millennial kingdom has been set up and for a thousand years Christ has reigned upon this earth, after the release of Satan from the bottomless pit, and after He has gathered the armies from the four corners of the world to the battle of Gog and Magog, after the Lord has devoured those armies with fire out of heaven as they're encamped around that holy city, the Bible says, and John, being in the Spirit on the Lord's day, saw all these things. He said, I saw a great white throne. Him that sat on it, from whose face heaven and earth fled away. This is the shaking or the destruction or renovation or however you want to describe it. In fact, let's say that it's the shaking of renovation. God's going to shake the earth. The place is planetary. It's the entire planet. The purpose, I like this, the purpose is purification. You know, this world has been polluted by sin. The greatest pollution in this world is not somebody throwing a, a, a empty a tan of Canadian night crawlers out into the lake when they're done with them. The biggest pollution that has taken place in this earth is not you and me driving around our big old pickup trucks or SUVs or whatever. The, the, the greatest pollution that has taken place in this earth is the sin pollution that has taken place. This world was created in perfection and there was a time when there was no curse upon this world but because man fell, because Adam chose to obey the wishes of his wife Eve and he chose to eat of the fruit. By the way, the Bible says that she was deceived, but Adam knew. 
Adam knew he chose to do that. And when he fell, the entire human race fell. As Adam being the federal head, the Bible says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, and that all of sin. That's what Romans 5.12 says. All of mankind fell into depravity and sin, but the earth fell with him. The curse was placed upon this earth. Now there's thorns and thistles. and God help us, mosquitoes have got to have come from that. I don't know that. You'll tear your concordance to pieces trying to find that, so don't look for it. But that's just my that's just my opinion, okay? But there's coming a day when the curse will be removed. The Lord's going to purify this earth by fire. And what's the proclamation? Turn over to chapter 21. We'll read this and I'll be done. Chapter 21. Look at the first few verses. John speaking says, and I saw. Now remember, verse 11 of the last chapter was the last time the old earth is spoken of. And so in verse number 1 of chapter number 21, it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. Oh, neighbor, I don't. if you wanted to stay here for another hour and a half, I'd preach on that. But I know you don't. Amen. You know the sea, he's, he's cast our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And when he makes all things new, there's no more sea. <laughs> I like that this morning. I, I know that's not the message, but I just had to say it because it's so good. Amen. It says there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold. You know why he said behold? Because it was already done. He said, Look around. Behold. I make all things new. And he said unto me, Right. For these words are true and faithful. The place is planetary. It's the entire earth. The purpose is purification. And the proclamation of this shaking. I like this. Is perfection. Perfection. How many of you got health problems? Raise your hand. How many of you got so many you don't even know what they are anymore? A couple. You may never be healed. You may never be healed on this side of heaven. But when a person dies, they get that ultimate healing. Your, your voice is beautiful. I love to hear you sing. I praise the Lord. We've been praying for you here. And I praise the Lord that you're cancer-free. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But the, but the truth of the matter is, cancer is one of those things. It's, you're always looking over your shoulder after you've had it. Is that right? There'll come a day you won't have to look over your shoulder anymore. <laughs> They'll come. See, she knows she don't have it now, but she don't know she's not going to get it in the future. But there's coming a day. There's coming a day when the proclamation is perfection. Perfection. Not, not temporary. Permanent. Perfection. 
It's not going to come on this earth, but on a new earth. You say, I don't know if I believe that. Well, argue with the Lord about it, but I believe my Bible. (laughs) I believe my Bible. When it says a new heaven and a new earth and the holy tabernacle, the city of God, the new Jerusalem coming out from heaven, out from God, and it rests upon this earth. And that is the place of our eternal destination. That is the place of perfection. That is the place where there's no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain. Hey, neighbor, listen how good it is. God says, I'm doing away with tears too. How many of y'all have cried when you don't really have anything to cry about? (laughs) God says, it's going to be so good you ain't even going to do that anymore. You say, I like heaven because heaven won't have no tears. You're wrong. Heaven's got tears in it. But the new, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, it's a place without tears. God's done away with them. You, you, you may be hurting today. I know we got, we got a few older people here in the congregation. I know that. And you get to a certain age in life where if you ain't hurting, you worry that you're dead. You know? I know that. There'll come a day when there won't be any hurting. Won't be any pain. Merle passed away that goes to our senior saints uh, meeting. Did go. And him and his wife, Helen. There'll come a day we won't have to worry about death anymore. You know, it's always stalking us. It's always lurking. Always. We always worry. We always, there's never a time. Listen carefully to me. There's never a time when my wife walks out the door and gets in her car and goes drive off that it doesn't at some point run through my mind, I hope she's safe. Hope she's safe. I know how she drives. <laughs> but <clears throat> but I think to myself, I hope she's... Why? Because there's that fear. There's come today, there'll be no separation. There'll be no death. There'll be no pain. There'll be no sorrow. There'll be no sickness. God's going to shake things again. Oh, the world leaders don't believe that. I know that. The world believers are... are, are or the world leaders, not world believers. <laughs> believers. I don't buy that for a minute, amen. The world leaders plan for the future. They do a terrible, terrible job at it. Somebody say amen. But but they don't ever expect it. But there's coming a day God's going to shake their world. There's coming a day when God's going to shake this thing again. I want to ask you something. Until He's shaking free the shackles of sin in your heart and life, until He's shaking you so much as to cause all of your clay idols to fall and to tumble into ashes before the almighty mag- magnificence and, and majesty of the Son of God and His death and His sacrifice for you, until that time has come, you have no assurance. You have no promise of this place of perfection. The earth shook for you with the law. The earth shook for you with redemption. The earth shook for you with the resurrection. But if you reject those, it's going to shake for you with renovation too. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised assurance. You're not promised salvation except you find it in Jesus Christ. In fact, there is no salvation but in Him. If you're here today and you'd say, Preacher, I'm going to be honest with you. There's never been a time in my life when I've called upon Jesus Christ, when I've asked Him to forgive me and save me. Can I tell you something? Today's the day that you can do that. Today's the day. Or maybe you'd say, Preacher, this morning i got loved ones that I'm concerned about. Let me tell you something you can do. You can shake heaven over that. You can grab hold of the horns of the altar and call upon Almighty God to work in their heart and life. I got thinking about something. I'm closing. I've lied three or four times about that, but I, I really am.
Um, I got to thinking about, in, in, I've been reading in Psalms 18, and the psalmist said, In my distress I cried unto the Lord, and He heard me out of His holy temple. Think about all the things that are drowned out by the prayers of God's children. The singing of the untold multitudes is drowned out when we pray. The singing of the cherubs is drowned out when we pray. When, when, when those uh, seated around the throne and the cherubims flying around the throne cry out to an Almighty God and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When we pray, God says, Shh, my child is praying. wonder why that is. wonder how we can get so close. I got to thinking about what God said about Abel. The blood of thy brother Abel crieth unto me. Abel is a type of Christ. Whenever Christ died for your sins and mine, He took His blood. There's a mercy seat in heaven. That's what the book of Hebrews teaches us. That the things in the Old Testament tabernacle are patterned after heavenly things. And, and Christ took His blood. And He placed it on the mercy seat. <laughs> right there beside God the Father. When we cry out to the Lord, the second Abel, His blood cries out to the Almighty Father. And we can grab hold of the horns of the altar. We can pray and talk to God. And He'll hear and He'll answer. Maybe you've got a loved one that needs Christ. Maybe you've got a trial or an affliction or a difficulty. Maybe you've got a question or something in your life. Maybe you're seeking the will of God. Whatever it is, there's a place where you can shake heaven. And you can get an answer from an almighty God.